Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. Today, we have Rob Lloyd, Deputy City Manager for the City of San Jose, Mark Wittenberg, CIO for the City of Raleigh, and Chris Stewart, Executive Advisor and former CIO and now in retirement for the City of Austin. Welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Thank you. Rob, this is number three. It is number How do you feel coming back a third time? Bold. (laughs) (laughs) You've been around the block a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I went and looked at the first episode, and you do look a lot younger. I do, yeah. Uh, COVID aged me, I think, at least seven years. Yeah, no, I believe it. Okay, Rob, let's kick off with you. One of the things you'd mentioned that you would love to talk about was tooling for hyper-responsive government services with equity. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different cities. What does it mean to San Jose? For San Jose, we, we actually have a couple different levels that we approach that. Responsive services means that people have fewer barriers. It's a customer-friendly environment. It also means we have the skills with which we can listen and process feedback so we can turn those into solutions. Two of the main tools we use is the IAP2 uh, spectrum for public participation. So we actually try to co-create services. And then the other one is human-centered design because, truthfully, one of the flaws of technologists is we often come at it with solutions very quickly as opposed to really understanding, listening hard and understanding, which when the community talks to you, you really understand that full context and the richness of their feedback before you can get it right. That's great. Mark, what does that mean in Raleigh? Actually, in Raleigh, we've also been talking about how do we deliver services and how do we do that equitably? One of the things we've been trying to do is we keep hearing about what is this equity lens? What does that really mean? And we're trying to define exactly what that means by involving, again, the community, bringing them in to understand what does that mean to them, getting the different departments and saying, okay, if we were to develop this lens, what would that lens look like? And then how do we look at the different projects and how the city's spending money to ensure that we're using that lens and that we're, you know, it's equitably, right? It's not only are we using the lens, but we're using it equally across the different departments and how we're spending the money. Yeah, I had a great podcast with Jim Weaver on this. I think it was the first one we did virtually. We talked about the lay of the land specifically on the broadband front, and he just had some really great stats in North Carolina specifically and how he's trying to address digital equity and broadband. And it was a fantastic conversation. I'm only saying that because I want to link it to the show notes, which I can't remember the episode. It's 70 something, but it was a fantastic episode. Chris in the city of Austin, same thing. How are you seeing that? Yeah, equity in Austin is huge, actually. It, it, it's way beyond technology, of course. Every department has equity goals, and they want to look at equity. We look at things like how services are delivered, of course, where people have to go. But digitally, we want to make sure that our services are accessible. Accessibility is a big deal, even in ways that I wasn't quite aware of before I was a CIO. I typically think of things like accessibility. You look out in the community at, at people who are con- they have issues getting places, so maybe physically, and there's language barriers. In a city like Austin, there's so many languages spoken, and we want to make sure that they have access. And our digital services is, is a great example. We really try our best to digitize, to modernize, but if they, don't, if they can't ingest it, if they can't utilize it, it's of no good. But 
it goes way beyond language. So we even look at things like the visually impaired and hearing impaired, making sure visuals on websites have the right metadata so that their software can actually read what's on the screen. If you can't see the picture, you don't know what's there, obviously. So we're really looking at really deep into how to make sure things are equitable and accessible. Another great example was that Austin Water, we rolled out an advanced metering infrastructure. So we're giving people data to their phones on their water usage. And it's amazing. You can find out when you have a leak within an hour. But if you don't have a phone with that kind of access, how do we make sure that you have that same experience? So we want to make sure we have mailers and we can reach out to people. And just because you don't have access to a digital platform doesn't mean you're not going to get the same services. So we really try to make sure across the board, technology helps, but every service, we want to make sure it's equitable. Yeah, it's a fascinating lens. I One of my favorite things, I've got two thoughts on this. My, one of my favorite things to do in cities, if it's walkable, not so much in, in Montana right here. I can't hop in a car for everything. Or, or especially in Phoenix, it's really hot. Or Vegas right now, it's like 115. Point is, I love walking around other cities because I've, I haven't found anything better than just getting in the shoes of like where the people are at. Uh, and even in Santa Barbara, it's a very wealthy town. It's like very wealthy, but like all that, there's these um, just different parts of the city. And when you coach high school basketball, um, you start to realize maybe half the kids really have access to to internet access to to broadband, like I do at my house. And then and then there's kids who don't have that access, and then there are kids who don't have cell phones. And so then presents an interesting challenge that I'm specifically thinking about a kid that we actually gave a cell phone to, this kid, Jeremiah, who played for me. And he's, I'm like, why, why are you failing your grades right now? And he's like, coach, I don't have internet. <laughs> Everything's online. I'm like, did they get you an iPad? And I'm like, coach. And I'm like, did you sell the iPad? What'd you do with it, right? It brings up a really fascinating perspective and a really fascinating problem set for different cities. And yeah, where you Rob? And I think you're going exactly the right direction because the community tells you when it's hurting. And we never heard that so much and so clearly as in COVID. For us, we had done some experiments, for example, with digital inclusion on networks. The schools, the principals, the families came and said, what you did in this one attendance area, we need you to do in all of them quickly. Because that summer slide is going to turn into a two-year slide. Those partnerships, we connected 160,000 people, covered 160,000 people with high-speed Wi-Fi. In Title I attendance area, that's 80% at least free or reduced lunch, a proxy for poverty. The language translation, using machine learning to do translation for languages, that's higher fidelity, so they actually can understand it. And firework, fireworks notices don't come out as bomb notices because of bad translation. Um, very all, bad, very yes. bad translation. <laughs> uh, to utilities help, and then even for our, our 311, we had some other data where when we went in with some data scientists, they showed us that there's actually two community sets of community needs. If you're thinking equity and how you use an equity lens and equity mirrors, people in affluent neighborhoods have quality of life issues. They want you to fix the pothole. There's a streetlight outage. People in less affluent neighborhoods are basic life needs. They want your help because they're about to be evicted. They want your help because they have no connectivity. And even domestic violence type items. You actually need to solve and, and be able to perceive and listen and go where those problems are because your community isn't a monolith. And the deeper you listen, the more you see those different personas. Yeah, no, I really like that a lot. Chris, you mentioned something that I think is pretty interesting, regional technology. And I love this podcast because we've got the cities on, which is often a different perspective than the state. And there can be some crossover and, and some collaboration. But the regional side is much different. I was curious, what were some of your favorite projects on the regional side that you liked in Austin? 
early in my career, I went to, it's called CTEC. It's the Combined Transportation Emergency Communications Center. It was one of the first combined number one centers in the world, actually. We had a lot of countries come visit and a lot of cities come visit and counties. So taking number one services, fire police, EMS, county, transportation, our, our transit system, all in one building, one system, was a, a pretty unique thing. And now it's pretty normal. Now it's pretty standard. So I spent a lot of time there. So getting this regional effort, seeing how getting everybody in a room, working together, and how it can provide better services. And in this case, public safety, it saves lives. It gets people out quicker. We like taking that to other levels and how can we do better in, in, in many areas regionally. So then we even take our now one center. We now connect to other counties. And again, this isn't brand new stuff. We've been doing this for years, but doing it well is important. Getting the process down, getting people to, to, to work together and then having all this stuff in place so that public safety is number one, no matter where you are. We also run a regional radio system. That, that's something that we were we managed at the city of Austin. It, it keeps growing. We have lots of partners now, and it's a really amazing thing. It, it stretches all corners of the state of Texas, actually. And it's something that we manage in Austin. It's something the city of Austin manages. So we, we're able to serve very small communities, in particular public safety, that can't afford to set up their own radio towers and get these leases. And they don't know how to work with the FCC and all this stuff. But they can buy a radio, connect with us, we can help them out with those services. It helps with interconnectivity. It helps with interoperability. Whenever we have large disasters, and unfortunately in, in every state we've got some pretty disastrous things that happen with natural disasters and even things like school shootings, we can we enable police agencies to talk to each other through these systems. Now we're talking about transportation. Transportation's a big issue. If you talk to Austinites, transportation comes up like number one as a problem. Regional transportation is how you can help resolve that. Even cities now, it's not, you can't do much just in a city. Our city reaches out. People live counties away now. Um, so you have to do things regionally, I think, to be effective. But yeah, regional transportation is something that we're really looking at now. And how do we do that better at the same model as we did with public safety making that regional? How do we take that same mindset into other areas? Mark, has a, you went from Tempe to Raleigh. <laughs> yes. Slight move. If you're going to move, it's don't move a state over. Just move over from one side of the country to the other. Yeah. You, you, was that 3,000 miles? Uh, 2,200 and some, yeah. approximately. How, how is that different between Tempe and, and, and Raleigh right now? What's interesting is what's really different are the laws. Is In Arizona, like Chris was mentioning, there was a big consortium and a regional collective, and that's what we called it, it was actually the collective that was looking at solving regional issues because we had this realization that the issues that we had just didn't stop at our border. Is If you look at broadband, that's, that's not something that stops at the border and that digital divide. So getting the, the groups together, the different cities, the county, the university, so Arizona State University was involved, vendors involved, to really solve these regional problems was just incredible, is looking at how do we as a group, and that's why it was called the collective, is like, as a collective, how can we look at resolving these issues? In North Carolina, there's, the laws are much different as far as what we as cities can do as far as broadband goes. And it was interesting because I was actually presenting at a conference and I was getting ready to start my new job and somebody said, hey, what are you gonna do about the laws in North Carolina that restrict the cities from providing broadband? 
That's a great question. <laughs> so it's trying to work with like the state with Jim Weaver is to start to look and say, okay, what are the things that we can do? Because broadband access is just one piece of the digital divide, but there's also the devices. And then can you use the device? And then those devices need to stay up to date, right? Is you need the access, the device, the training. It's that three-pronged stool. So what are the things we can do in order to bridge that piece of it this might be a little aggressive but do you what of the three-pronged stool which one do you think is is the hardest honestly i believe the hardest is the training and getting the devices to the people and then the other piece is the school if you can part with partner with the schools with the libraries to be able to provide free wi-fi and that access they may not have it at home but at least you can provide it at the schools or provide it at community centers, somewhere where they can go and connect. Uh, I want to jump to, and actually a lot of you have this, the similarity, organizational maturity, organizational change management. This was a, a theme, I think, across the three of you, talent pipelines. Rob, love to hear, you, you have the perspective of both CIO and now deputy city manager, when it comes to building out those robust talent pipelines and teams, especially in Silicon Valley, is there any learnings or lessons or advice that you that comes top of mind for you that, that you think cities and counties would benefit from? I think the culture that you create often reinforces itself or doesn't. It costs you talent. And all, I know Mark well, know Chris fairly well too, is when you create a culture that attracts people, it solves a big chunk of your problem. But there, there is a generational shift. You have five generations working in the same workforce for the first time. Hybrid work does require better managers. I'm convinced that we're in the age of managers right now because if a, if a manager knows how to coach, mentor, manage work, we don't see turnover. And when they don't, we see a lot of it. And so if we really know how to have a mature organization, an effective organization, we're going to be very effective about building our leadership. Two other answers for you is pipeline is absolutely important. So San Jose, for example, we have hundreds of interns at any given moment from the universities who are our talent, talent pipeline. And they come from all across the Bay. And they're people, what we hear is a lot of folks wanting to do more and meaningful work. And we have to get better about being able to converse in that language. But that internship pipeline gives us a head start. We see some of our stars come from young people who came into the organization, learned it, shined, took on new challenges, and they are a big chunk of our stars three, four, five years later. But the other thing is the way we have to engage the public, we have to be able to talk about the work that we do and the impact that we have rather than these bureaucratic job postings of 20-some-odd bullet numbers a pay range, and you sh you'd be honored to work for the state or a city or a county. The meaningfulness of the work matters, matters more than ever. And the other thing is, as we get into flexibility, we're trying to figure out ways where we don't, and if we allow ourselves to win on flexibility, governments actually have a good opportunity of pulling in great talent. I will say in some communities, it's still hard. Uh, Silicon Valley, uh, we don't pay as well as a lot of Silicon Valley companies. Uh, Google, Apple, Facebook, they beat us. Um, Salesforce. Salesforce. Um, Sorry, so, Nadia, my bad. Yeah, we, we, we don't lose that many people to Salesforce, but uh, the other ones around, they, they just pay so well. Um, and it, it's, it's just a, a simple conversation is if you're after money and perks, you should absolutely go. If you want um, a, a career legacy of, of purpose and, and impact, we'd love for you to stay or to come. 
And when you have clear conversations, we get good people and they tend to stick is our experience. The other part of just that ability to come in and build that culture, we're still figuring out which is that hybrid work, is how do you create those connected teams that have good bonds, but that are more fluid and dynamic and sometimes don't even see each other or talk to each other for, for extended uh, periods. We, we haven't aced that part yet. Yeah, Mark, what do you think about that on the kind of robust talent pipelines and then almost building and keeping that team? First of all, Rob stole all my answers. He always does. <laughs> I, I know. It, it's Can you not go with him first? <laughs> Rob, you go last. Do, do the changing job requirements. Oh, as far as that goes, I would say definitely ditto is we're trying to do the same thing, which is really engaging with the universities. In Raleigh, we have a tremendous collection of universities, top in the country. Never heard of them. <laughs> I think one was mentioned earlier. But in any case, so we... Just leveraging that, and so I try to make connections with those CIOs to be able to say, okay, if we can bring in interns, and then what things can we do and what things can we partner with the universities to start to develop that pipeline and say, hey, if you want to be a servant leader or if you, want to be, if you have that servant heart, that's what we're really appealing to, is we're trying to get those people that are curious, that want to add value to the community, that care about sustainability and care about the planet, and say, okay, what can I do? And so we need to demonstrate and show what are the things and how can you engage with technology, with the city. These are the things that you can do. And then I would say the second thing is that once you get them in, is you have to keep them engaged. And Rob mentioned the hybrid. We're also still trying to figure out the hybrid. But there are just certain things that I, need, I think that you need to do in person. For example, we're going to be doing an IT retreat. And part of that is to connect the city's goals, our goals in IT, and the culture to what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so just to get them to connect with, these are the things that I'm doing, and then this is how it's impacting IT, this is how it's impacting the departments I'm serving, and this is how it's impacting and adding value to the community. So I really do believe that you have to make that connection to build that culture in order to keep those, those new folks really engaged. Yeah, that's great. Chris? Ditto. I agree. This culture was really big for me. We, we wanted to come in and really change culture, so we asked a lot of questions of our staff. We, we did surveys and wanted to see what, was, you know, what were we not doing well. Where were we absolutely failing? And that was a big, that was a big help to get there. The people who had been there a while, what's going on here? So we really focused on culture, and we really strove to, to change culture. That was one of the big things. And, and Rob had mentioned how important your leaders are, and I, I totally agree with that. One of the things we found is we had a lot of managers who were in interim roles. And that was tending to be a citywide problem, especially around COVID. We had a, about a year where we couldn't hire in the city. So that it just compounded. So we were losing people. We couldn't hire. It just gets worse and worse. So you, you put interim people in place. And, and for a lot of things, that's a great opportunity. You get staff who can, can move into a role that they might not even be you know, ready for or qualify for, and they can gain this experience. It's really wonderful. But you can't do that for two years. You can't have somebody sitting in an interim role. And we did. We had people who were just stagnant in their role. Not they weren't stagnant, but they were there. And they became a de facto. And it really was a, a morale killer for folks because it seemed obvious, oh, that person's going to get the job. And even for the people in it, they're just interim forever. Am I ever going to get this job? Are you ever going to post this job? So we really focused on managers. Whenever I, when I was, we were able to hire, we wanted to make sure we were aligning the best, the best people we want to make sure that I got the executive team together and every week we actually wrote down which ones of all of our listings. And I think we had about 60 at one point vacancies. We actually put them on paper. So what are our top 10? 
HR, here's the top 10 you can focus on. And we tell all of our managers, this is what we're hiring first. And we brought in really great managers. And everywhere I've been, I've come one of my mottos is, I want to be the place everyone wants to come to. I want to be the department in the city everybody wants to come work for, not just IT. If you're in HR, I want you to be in my HR. If you're finance, come be in our finance. But of course, in the city, and we always hear about big tech, and Austin is like Silicon Valley, where we have a lot of big tech, but it's all the big companies. We have a lot of companies headquartered in Austin. I don't just lose people to big tech. I lose people to big companies all over the place. And it's just really hard to compete there. And in a lot of ways, we can't compete. As Rob was saying, we really try to focus on, do you want to come and work for someplace where service means a lot? Do you want your, your work to have value? More so than maybe if, you're, if you feel like you're just selling a product, which is, which is great. People need these products. But, or do you want to provide a service like electricity, water, help people get access to digital services, equipment services, and help people find homes and pay their rent? These are things that don't happen except in the, in the public space. So it's that mission-driven thing is, is really great. We're a little hampered in our, our systems of hiring. So in, in the formal systems, I can't do a whole lot. But in informal settings, I absolutely can. These networks, reaching out to, to peers and, and putting yourself out there for these hires, I, that's what I, I do a lot is, hey, are you this kind of person? Come apply for this job and let me tell you a little bit about it and how great it is. And matter of fact, you're going to work for a great boss. And all these things you can't get on a, a pretty bland, generic job posting. We really try our best to reach out and I make sure my leadership team's looking at that. And I make sure, hey, I posted this. Why don't you guys go take a look at that and help me you get this out there. And we've been really successful at getting the word out just through our networks and using things like like this group here and these fine people to help me find good people. But if I could add on to that, Joe, just to connect the dots from that regionality, none of the problems we're facing, housing insecurity and homelessness, public safety, justice reform, inequities, biases, if you talk about any of the problem sets that we're facing, transportation and transit, none of them are one department. None of them are one city. Uh, none of them now are even one region. Uh, they're, they're really mega problems. But then that's something when we hire and when we retain, we say, what are the problem sets that you want your career to be defined by in, in terms of you making an impact? And some people are really driven and, and attracted. And I think that's where you see the line is the people who come into government and stay and do a great job. They are mission-driven people, and that's our sweet spot. I heard mission-driven and I think, I didn't verbally hear it, but it's the undertone of this workforce challenges slash opportunities, because I know Vishantra loves opportunities. But I want to go a little bit more on this because every organization is facing this. I, every leader is trying to recruit people, build a talent pipeline. I love what you mentioned about trying to, like, there's the vanilla plain job posting, and you're trying to also augment that, right? But, and I won't start with Rob. Mark. Thank you. Yeah. How else, how are you thinking about this in Raleigh? You inherited a great team, and but you're still probably still hiring and still trying to augment the team and grow it. What else are you doing out there to get the word out besides getting on this podcast? Oh, wait. Perfect. <laughs> it's exactly what we were talking about, which is just getting the word out. So one of the things we're, we just started is looking at our external website because right now our external website, if you look at the IT portion, it's lacking. <laughs> if I actually, I did look at it when I uh, applied at Raleigh and it was lacking. It's like this does not create any kind of excitement to come to Raleigh. We are actually looking at our external website and looking at it from a perspective of this is our marketing. And also it's a place for us to 
show all the innovative things that we're doing, the awards that we've won, and to really show that we're a cohesive staff and that we are really focused at that value for not only the employees, but also to the community and trying to create that connection. That's probably one of the biggest things that hasn't been mentioned yet is really to look at how do we get that message out and so people do want to come work for us. That they're like, okay, this is an area where it's a great city. I can see all the good things that they're doing. I can see all this. And then I just want to echo the, the job descriptions is we've just got to get away from job descriptions that read like an old tech manual is, okay, this is what you need. And we need to create job descriptions and just job announcements that tell more of a story of what you'll be doing and how you're going to make an impact. And instead of here are the skills we want. And I also think that's an equity thing because people may not apply for jobs if they're looking and saying, okay, I don't have all these requirements. Instead, it's, no, this is how I can make an impact. And I really see how I can fit here. And this is a good team. Can I add on to that? Is I think on the equity front, that's a good ad. You do have to manage your process so that you see what you're doing. Are you hiring men and women? Are you hiring communities of color that are qualified? And even the questions that we ask in interviews, when we see, we're like, this question women tend to do better on. And I'll give you one example. Tell us about a failure you've had in your career and what you learned from it and what you took to the next problem set. We had a period where a lot of guys were going, I've never failed. We said, they're done. Come on, guys. <laughs> Come on, guys. And then the, the, the female applicants were really good. They're saying, here's what I did. Here's the impact. Um, here's what I took from it. I'll never do this. I'll do more of that. And they would score more. So we would try to regulate the, the scoring and, and the, the questions to try to be more equitable and say, otherwise, we're going to ask the questions that we're comfortable with. And then our hiring panels also have to look like our community and our, our customers and our whole organization. And then the people you hire tend to represent them better communicate with them better, and then change the culture of your team, to, in my experience, to the, to the maximum positive. Good ad. Joe, I think it's important, too, that our role as marketers, you're not just a, an IT person anymore. You're, you're CIO. You're, you're the chief. You're the, you're the top. It's your job to make sure people understand, like you're saying, what is it that we do? Um, so we start an annual report you know, for our department, and that gets out word out to the city. Here's all the things we did this year, though you may have seen one thing. Here's the 10 others we did. I mean, we support 40-plus departments and 16,000 people. We do a lot of work. So it was important for the city to see that. But it's important for the community to see it. And I think there's, there might be some thoughts. It's government technology. It's not as cool as some other places you can go and do some amazing, innovative things. That's just not true. I hear innovative things from so many government CIOs and, and employees and sysadmins and DBAs about all the wonderful things they're doing. But you have to make sure people know that. You have to get out there. So that's part of our job, too, is to make sure you're out there, make sure you're, you're showing the community what your teams are doing, bragging about them a little, what they're doing. Put it on social media. Put it on other whatever you've got going on in your, for your, your website or whatever. We work with our corporate PIO, our public information office, and whenever we have something that's quite large, we want them to do a report on it and actually put it out to the entire community at large. So I think it's really important to understand our role that you're a leader. You may be a technology leader, but you got to get out there. Yeah, something I've thought about a lot is like brand in the public sector. <clears throat> I think this is like a huge gap uh, that not a lot of people are thinking about. And so I've got some some scene and some of them just graduated and they're like, hey, coach, we want to come on the podcast. And I'm like, OK, <clears throat> this can go one of two ways. But 
I thought about it and I was talking with, with Jamie Tosti about this and she was like, do you think they know about public sector? And I'm like, I don't think they do. And so I was like, hey, you guys come over here. I'm thinking specifically, I'm thinking like Matthew Marshall, these kids I have in mind. You know what a CIO is? They're like a CI what? And I'm like, I wonder if I can rent out the theater at DP and throw a live event and get some folks there to like just reframe what they these kids can do once they graduate. Because the default answer is I'm gonna go to SBCC or I'm gonna go work at Blenders, which is just, they're not thinking beyond that. And I think partly is because it's tough. No one person's going to solve it, but going back to going to the schools, like opening that possibility up. You could be a CIO and they're like, I have no idea what that is. Where's John? We were talking about that earlier today, right? Five years from now, hey, you could be a CISO, right? Yeah, we were talking about that. I love that. If any of you decide, hey, I'm going to do a road show and I don't want to do everything, but if you do it at a high school, I would love to come. We actually have a couple with Crystal Ray High School, underprivileged kids, um, but we also go out into the community and speak, uh, go to the technical high schools. Uh, trades is a space where we really need young people to, to op- come in with an open mind for. We can't get our construction done because we don't have enough building and code inspectors. High paying jobs, good long-term prospects, and for some reason people don't see it and so they don't think it's a possibility. Same with tech. In Silicon Valley, that's actually not our problem. Every kid's like, I can go into tech or I don't want to go into tech because of the most recent story on a company on, on social media or something like that. But what community children see as possibilities, they entertain and go towards. And love what you're saying, if it, I'm in, if, if there's a space and a place, because that's the possibility. I lived in public housing. We were homeless for a period living in a car. And my, my teachers and folks, they were just investors. As an adult now, you always want to do right on your investors. And, and I just remember how they wanted to put a set of possibilities in front of me. Absolutely. One of the things when I first got to Raleigh is we hosted a GIS day. And it was a regional collective. And so it was several cities. We had uh, the state, the Department of Transportation. But the coolest part of it is we had a local high school and their GIS club show up to the event. And to watch those kids walking around and talking with the GIS professionals, and then what they were doing with the transportation network and the digital divide and sustainability, you could really, you could just see them, the light bulb go off of, this is how I can make that connection. And so it's one of those things that I saw that and looked at it and said, okay, we can expand this. And so next year, we're going to be, or this year actually, we're going to be expanding that out and going to the different high schools to try to then encourage them to come out to these events. A lot of times we host these things, but we don't invite the high schools. We may talk about having college interns, but really start them young. And they're just as curious, and they're just as willing to learn, and they're just as willing to make those connections. Yeah, and I want to give a big shout out to Sindhu Menon. We in Houston, if you knew, we brought out the Future Information Technology Professionals Kids Club. Like it's kids, they're all seniors, and and it was awesome from the University of Houston. And one of the things that I said, because I love to have fun, 
And, and I don't take myself too seriously. Sometimes I guess when I'm like deep focused, but I, I quote unquote in quotes, like I'm a shame everyone. I took the, I got the kids up on stage. So for those of you who were in Houston, you saw, I brought the kids up on stage. And then I told every CIO, I don't care if you're scared, pull out a business card. <laughs> These kids are looking for jobs. And it was awesome. They were counting business cards like it was cash in the back at the end. And, and sometimes it's just what it takes, right? Pokemon. Uh, without a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Jigglypuff card that they got, but it was something they might not normally do, but then it was cool to see the conversations after the next podcast where I, Dr. Chris Mitchell is meeting with the, with, with them and, uh, and Sindhu and Lisa and Summer. And, and sometimes it just takes a little push, but I love, yeah, getting that, getting those, just getting that exposure. Because I was talking to them before, specifically, I'm thinking about Jessica. I'm like, where do you want to go? She's like, Google? I'm like, <clears throat> it's not public sector. <laughs> there, there is Google.org. So if you're a, an exceptional professional, you can go into of stints and task force jobs. Uh, we worked with them on reinventing 911-311. So there's a public sector angle from Google. Love it. Fantastic. Okay, I know the pizza's here. I know you guys are hungry. But I want to take some questions because this is rare to have three. We're all across the U.S. right here. I think we got it panned. This is perfect. Anyone wants to come up, you can ask a question. Name where you're from and what the question is. Hi, Brent Burns. I'm with Extra Hop Networks and live in the Grand Canyon State. So Rob, you mentioned hybrid work requires better managers. How do the three of you leaders build better managers? All right, since it was my question, I'll go first. A couple things. So one of the things when we build managers, we've put in knowledge areas and process areas where we want them to be proficient. We also want them to use that to make decisions where they want to take their career. For example, you start your career usually doing tasks, right? And then you get into operations and then sometimes projects, multiple projects, programs. And then you say, let's also teach you the personnel pieces. Let's also teach you the budgeting pieces. Let's teach you the communications pieces and so on and so forth. And the proficiency with which you have that are going to open some doors for you. And we're going to coach you through them. And we're also going to give you those opportunities, those interim opportunities when we can so that you can actually get a flavor of it to know that this is a, something I want to do or this is something I don't want to do. I do think there's a metric on CIOs is if our deputies and assistants and managers are doing well, that should be a metric we're measured on. So in my performance evaluations, for example, I could not do better than my deputies and our senior managers. If they as a group did not do well, I wasn't going to get a high score either. And so that gives me a lot of incentive. But then also trying to encourage, and I've had mixed results on this, is the senior management group to form its own coalition of here's how we're doing as a group because there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching we can do. Your team really shines when the managers work well with each other. And, and I have not mastered that yet. Um, one day, maybe when I fully grow up, I will. Um, but the, sometimes you just get great people who know how to interact, interact and integrate their services and trust each other, ask each other questions, push each other, healthy tensions. Uh, and sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes it's even personal uh, between, I don't like the way you work, I don't like the way you work, well, we're gonna work together nonetheless and, and, and that kind of stuff. That stuff comes up in large organizations, but we have to teach them that full repertoire, otherwise they're incomplete. So they might be effective, but they have some holes and then we do want them to have opportunities. Can you be successful without some of those skill sets and experiences? And so they know we're investing in them. They know we care. They know the bar is high. And our ask is high because the community deserves it. But that's how we try to balance the equation. We want great things from you, and we want to help you get to great things as well. I think for me, obviously, hire well. Hire really well. Put a lot of time and attention into your process. Make sure it's equitable. Make sure it's fair. 
it's amazing just doing those. You'll you'll end up with really great people. So that's one thing that we make sure we do is we focus on from the very you know the beginning, making sure we we hire well, support them. Some of the, the things that we all do, you want to give them a lot of um, ability to to take ownership. Uh, one of the things I did is make sure that we had a really strong strategic plan that came from the employees. That helps the managers know the vision. They know a direction to go in, so they're not always asking questions. So I feel like that empowers whenever they know the direction that the entire organization's going. That really helps them, and so they can lead their teams. They're not waiting for their bosses to tell them. For me, it was really focusing on that hire, making sure you got the good people. You're going to mentor. You're going to do all those things that we all do, but making sure you get the right people and then giving them you know, what they need. And for us, it's, it's that vision. They were, they were telling me, we just don't know the direction all the time. So we make sure they know the direction. They can run with it. One of the things we just recently went through is a strategic planning workshop with the entire leadership team. Because like Chris came in, we had a couple of interim active ADs that had been there for a while, been in place. Once I had the IT leadership team in place, we gathered for a week-long workshop, which sounds like a lot of time, and it is actually a lot of time to carve out, but it was incredible. It was in person, and we had it facilitated, but just watching the team from Monday to Friday go from a team where they were I wouldn't say siloed, but definitely not a cohesive team, to Friday having developed a direction, developed a strategic plan, and they were laughing, they were joking with each other, they were poking at each other. You could just see that they become friends. So that was just huge. And then the second one is it's the people skills. I, I just can't emphasize enough the soft skills. And even for the CIO, is it's just a transformational thing as far as the management is you have to engage those remote workers. And so you have to look at ways to create that team, to create family, to create the engagement. You can't just walk down the hall now. You have to be purposeful about it. Actually, let me throw something on that. Uh, Mark and I were with our feet in the river, just talking about this a little earlier today. Like literally for those, <laughs> time out, that's not, like literally in the river in Big Sky, you missed out on the Big Sky Live podcast tour. Okay, plug over. But, sharing a rock, by the way. <laughs> sharing a rock, too. Sharing a rock. But we were talking about how if you really reduce it, there's just three things we have to teach our people. One is you have to be smart and, and capable. Like you, you have a knowledge area or an expertise area you've got to be good at. Number two is you have to have ambition and work ethic. But three, the one that separates and creates the opportunities and almost the luck is the relationship piece. If you're good at relationships, creating friendships, creating camaraderie, creating team environments, those people just accelerate like rockets. And a lot of people come in and tech space, people are very proficiency based. I'm good at this. I'm an expert at the relationship is the one where you say you need to connect with that and then you can get to the effective executive level. Did I capture it right? You definitely captured it right. And it was a nice rock. It was a beautiful rock. It looked gorgeous. And, and great company. <laughs> and cold. Joe, yeah. I have a, a go back. One of the things specifically that, that I did is I had quite a large team. It's City of Austin. It's a large environment. At the CL level, it's very difficult. You meet with your direct reports. You have one-on-ones. Who doesn't do that? If you don't, definitely you should be doing that. But it, it wasn't enough. What I was hearing from supervisors and staff was they still don't always feel heard. And even if they don't feel like it's as direct enough, they're not sure they're hearing what I'm saying by the time it gets to them four layers down. They're not sure I'm hearing what they're saying by the time it gets to me. I was able to work it out where twice a year I could meet with every single supervisor at all levels. So we have junior supervisors, managers at all levels. If you have a leadership role, 
I'd meet with you twice a year and I kept notes and uh, that was really powerful. They, it was great for me because I learned a lot of things that I was able to resolve problems in a day that I didn't know were happening because it was coming straight from the people who were experiencing the problems. But especially junior supervisors, people who are just brand new at being a supervisor or being a lead and they're really just trying to learn how, how to do this. They felt really empowered. They thought it was amazing. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm talking directly to the CIO. Everything I say is word for word. He's going to hear it. Everything I say, they're hearing word for word. So that was a really powerful. It was just a couple half hour meetings a week. It's, it's tough to squeeze in more meetings, but it was something that was definitely valuable that, that really helped me get my leaders on board up and down the chain. That's great. Let's take one more question from the audience. Yep. Take it. Name, where you're from. Question. Hey, Brad Booth with the Sentinel One. My question's along the thread of CIO being a marketer for your city, for yourself, for IT in general, public sector in general. What's one of the coolest things between music festivals, presidential elections, sporting events, something that people might not know that you get to work on that you went home and said, hey, guess what I got to do or see today? What's something cool about what you guys have done? Cool? Come on, you live in Austin. What? There's, there's plenty of cool stuff. It's actually not as cool. So in Austin, we tend to be a center for disasters in Texas. Um, we're in central Texas. We have a lot of disasters, a lot of you know, a lot of weather events where people will come inland, and Austin tends to be a, a hub for that. Even like Hurricane Katrina, we got a lot, a lot of folks. So we were actually set up for that. And one of the things that, that we got to do in IT is we tended to be the shelter administrators for the most part. We come in first, set everything up, stay, making sure we're helping people. So in, in lots of ways, I've been able to be a part of all of those events helping. And in this case, it's not your citizenry. It's not your residents. It's people coming here for the first time who are having disasters, getting, making sure they have cell phones and chargers and a bed to sleep in, making sure there's Wi-Fi set up. Not cool, but something that you wouldn't think maybe that in these kinds of roles, you're so connected to communities, even sometimes when they're not yours. And Austin Eastsiders, you've been there? Absolutely. Dude, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Started in Raleigh, Hurricane Ian hits, and at chance meeting, I actually met the stormwater director, which first of all, from Arizona, the fact that there's a whole division devoted to stormwater was like crazy, because I think we had one guy in Arizona that was, apparently there's rain and stuff like that, but he's, hey, I'll show you the uh, dashboard that your team put together, and it's, what, dashboard? The sensors using video analytics. They have this whole dashboard that has the city layout and all the road infrastructures, the bridges. They use all that information to figure out like how much water do we need to release from the lakes based upon the information that we're getting upstream so that we don't create flooding downstream and that we don't create flooding in our area. And just watching, and I'm gonna brag on my team now, just watching what they had put together and how that information was used to be able to protect the community and to be under, able to understand this particular road is about to flood. And so not only do we need to close the road, but we now need to inform our citizens. We need to form the, inform the community. And then we now need to find an alternate route. It was just incredible to watch just the coordination. And it was all held together by GIS. And being in the Emergency Operations Center and just seeing how that technology was really used in real life, real time, in a real moment was just incredible. And then the second one I'll say is we have Dreamville, which is a big music festival. And so we're in the process now because we had rolled several cell towers out, or cows, cells on wheels, 
in order to be able to provide the cell service so everybody could get their selfies, everybody could do their TikToks, right? But it just isn't enough. And so being able to partner with the big telecommunications companies to be able to build the infrastructure in the park so at future events we have that marketing, we have people that are just marketing the city for us, and then being able to be there at that event is just, it's super cool. And I'm going to tweak your question on you because CIOs, we often get too, we always get too much of the credit and too much of the blame. So this is a chance to do exactly what Mark did and just say, we're going to brag on our teams. So our teams, one day you're doing the NCAA championship game at Levi Stadium and the NHL all-star game all in the same two and a half months. Another day you're working on that disaster response. We had I'm not sure if people saw it. We had a couple months of rain to start the year, and we vacated folks, the technology, the coordination. We vacated hundreds of people, kept them safe, uh, made sure that they had what they needed. But that's meaningful work. We did geoware vehicle preemption. Not sure when police get to a light or fire, flash their lights, it clears green, and then they can go. We changed that and said for about $900,000 less, we're going to put geo-aware units on our fire trucks and pre-clear a path for them in advance. Takes off 24 seconds per route, saves lives, reduces injury. So all these things where you look at your team, you go, do you realize the good that we do? That's the story we get to tell in public. And we just get to be, sometimes we say lenses to see the community differently and better. And we also get to be mirrors that we're reflecting the best of our organizations. Awesome. I'm sure everyone is starving for pizza. So thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from techtables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders. Through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events, we offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves.